welcome everyone here, those visiting, to our beloved members and those that are watching online. So just a quick comment before we begin. We are living in some pretty tough times, uh, given the conflicts around the globe, given the cultural battles that we're fighting here locally in our own country. Something that we must remember as Christians is that God does not abandon his people. Okay? Whatever is going on, God does not abandon us. And secondly, that Christians are not to be neutral. Neutral in conflicts, neutral in cultural battles. I was reminded of that this week when, as some of you may be able to tell, I have a hard time uh, having my children obey, right? And at times it seems that they're very stubborn, they're very stubborn, so that's when we remember the concept of teaching our children to honor their parents, to honor authority. May our prayer be that as we raise this next generation, that God, by His grace, may be able to utilize this stubbornness of our kids, this hard-willed children, to use that for good, for them to obey the Word of God, for them to be tenacious in study of the Word, for them to be stubborn against those that have unbiblical worldviews. And may we not be passive as we deal with and hear about and participate in the current cultural battles. We are not to be passive or neutral. Please keep that in mind, my brothers and sisters, as we pray for the chaos that we are seeing in the world. With that, let us open up our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses, 21 and almost all of verse 22. If you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, please do so. And we will read the scripture for today. Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. The infallible word of God reads as follows. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that today as we begin the exposition of the righteousness that comes only through faith in Christ, that any false assurance of righteousness would be stripped away from us, Lord. Therefore, by your Holy Spirit, help us to realize that we need to be righteous before you, Lord. And the only way to attain that good standing before you is by your power that you may give us faith in Christ. And it is in his name that we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled today's sermon, Righteousness Apart from the Law. Paul has been writing to the book, uh, to the church at Rome. And he has spent about the last chapter and a half explaining how no one, not even one 
is righteous before God on their own human merit. That was true then and it is true now. Nobody, not one person, can be good enough in order to claim that they are right before a holy God. So then, if that's not possible, if there's no human way to be right before God, then how can we be righteous then? This leads us to Paul's intent in the portion of the letter we read today. What is Paul's intent for this portion of the letter? Well, Paul... Here in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, he begins his explicit explanation of how someone can be righteous before God. Or another way to state it, Paul introduces the solution to the problem of the sinfulness, of the wickedness of men. And that solution is to exchange our sinfulness for the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Now let us review what we mean about what we mean when we say righteousness, biblically speaking. What is that? Dikaiosun in the Greek, that is a status of legal rectitude which satisfies the moral requirements of God's character. God is holy and he requires moral rectitude from his creatures, that is from us. Paul's point here is that that right standing before God is not attainable by human merit. Therefore, this righteousness needs to come from outside of oneself. How does that happen? Well, Paul will proceed to tell us that that righteousness that we need belongs to God alone and is granted by God to people only by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? This is like the cornerstone of the gospel, right? If we do not understand that righteousness, that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, we will be deceived into believing a false gospel. Make no mistake. If we do not understand that righteousness before God is by grace through faith in Christ alone, we will then lack the standard by which we judge all spiritual truth. The true gospel then is the standard that we ought to use. And if we do not understand the basic rock, the building block of the true gospel, we will be deceived into believing a false gospel. So we must know then the gospel of grace, the gospel that saves Sinners like you and me, not because we are worthy of being favored, but rather that those who come to Christ with a repentant heart will be forgiven based not on whatever they've done, because all we have to offer is sin, but because of what Christ has done. That basic knowledge we must begin with when we understand the gospel. Now, let me put an example to all of us. God has given us different gifts. To some, the gift of singing or playing instruments, right, in music. And also to recognize the quality of a very well-built instrument. 
and we are able to tell it apart from a cheap copy of it. I myself like to deal and flip gear, right? So I've gained some insight of what is a quality instrument versus what is a cheap copy. Some of you have the gift of being artists, illustrators, graphic designers, video editors, etc. Those of you whose God has given you that gift, you would be able to tell when somebody shows you a piece of art and it's kind of cheesy, right? You could tell. That's, that's not good. It's done by an amateur. Some of you have the gift of sports. You would be able to rightly recognize if someone who claims to excel at a sport is subjectively good or not, or if they're better than you. Right? If you're honest, you've gathered that discernment. Some of you are gifted in managing businesses or projects, and you should be able to have enough experience and discernment of being a wise steward to know when a supplier or a third party or a contractor is trying to pull a fast one on you. Right, etc., etc. Each of us have gifts. And the point is that according to the interests, to the talents that God has given us, the ability, we should have a certain type of discernment to judge what we have before us. So the question is, do we have the discernment as Christians and the right judgment when it comes to, differ to differentiating between the true gospel and a counterfeit gospel? No. The beginning of this correct judgment is this. The true gospel is the good news that saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ. If we add anything to that, we have a false gospel. The common denominator of all cults and all false religions, they deny salvation by grace through faith in Christ. So my brothers and sisters, do we know the correct gospel? Do we have the foundation of what is the rock of the true gospel? Let us have that in our minds and our thoughts as we read through this passage, as we learn from this passage, and even as we go away this week amongst our families, let's talk and say, honey or son, daughter, do you know what the gospel is? And for those of us that are leaders of our home, if we don't, that's a great teaching opportunity. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reads as follows. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The building blocks of the true gospel succinctly stated there. So then we're going to look at today Paul's introduction to explain the only righteousness that is accepted by God. And we're going to do that in three ways. First, we're going to see where does this righteousness come from. Secondly, that righteousness that is accepted by God. How is that righteousness obtained? And then thirdly, who is that righteousness for when God gives that righteousness? Who is it for? All right, so let's get started in the text. That righteousness that God accepts 
proclaimed by the true gospel, where does it come from? Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That last phrase there, that the law and the prophets, that means the Old Testament, bear witness to the righteousness of God and to the gospel. We covered this in one of the first sermons that I preached back in chapter 1. Hence, won't spend too much time on that, but only will suffice to say that the Old Testament, it pointed to the entirety of God's law being fulfilled in Jesus. Okay? So when Jesus comes, leaves his throne, enters his own creation, the God-man, Jesus Christ, he fulfilled everything that was required by God the Father in order to obtain righteousness. Jesus said that the Psalms, Moses, the prophets, what do you say? They wrote about who? About him, right? So we know that the gospel was proclaimed since long ago. Now, Paul has just finished stating in the previous verse the following. Let's recap. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And we established that according to that verse and the biblical concept that it's implied that a right standing before God cannot, will not be attained by keeping the law by human merit. Because no one can do that. No one can keep God's law. And hence, it is not through the law that we can be saved or be made righteous before God, but rather, it is the very law of God that condemns us. It shows us that we cannot be good. The law shows us that we are sinners and it points us to something else, to someone else. Galatians 3, 21 and 22 puts it this way. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed come by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So then we see that the law does not bring life. Rather, it brings death because human beings left to our own devices cannot obey the law perfectly. And hence, we are condemned by God. So Paul has rather exhaustively made that case. That the unrighteousness of man will never produce the righteousness that God requires. And here in this verse, Paul introduces a phrase, but now. Right? This is likened to other scriptures in which the utter uselessness and helplessness of human beings is explained and then the scripture often says, but God, God steps in, in order to help those that cannot otherwise be helped, but God. So that is the sentiment in which this phrase is introduced. But now, 
The creator then steps in to reconcile the fallen creation. To give them the righteousness that they need. So that righteousness and that goodness that is needed to be right before God does not, cannot come from us. So then the question is, where does it come from? That righteousness comes only from God. How does that happen? The righteousness required by God, the only righteousness accepted by God, can only come from God himself. This is why in Christianity, there is no room for self-glory. There is no space for anyone who is a Christian to say, I'm a Christian because I did X, Y, and Z. There's no room for any self-glory for true Christians. God is the one who gives his righteousness to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus is given to those who trust in him. This is a concept called imputation, theological term. It means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed, is credited to believers. Now, this is not uh, plagiarism by me copying from Brother James, but I actually had the example already, and he mentioned it in the introduction. Think of this, of imputation, as a transaction of moral currency in which a personal moral account has defaulted, has bankrupted. And that moral bank account is in desperate need for someone to deposit good morality in there. And the debt is so huge that even if all the good deeds of the world were deposited in it, it will still not suffice to get from the negative to a positive moral balance. Therefore, the only way to make that bank account, if you will, into the positive and not bankrupt, would be to deposit the infinite righteousness of Jesus for that righteousness to be credited to that account. God will accept no other righteousness, please let us understand that, except that which proceeds from God himself, the righteousness of Christ. So then that righteousness that will be imputed to us does not belong to us. We read that in Philippians 3.9, when Paul says, And be found in him, that is, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So to us here, to those watching or perhaps later watching the, the rerun of this sermon, if you are a Christian this morning, if you know Christ and if you are known by Christ, his righteousness has been imputed to you, has been credited to you. His perfection has been given to you. Not by any works you have done, but because he granted you faith and belief in him. To those that are not Christians, you are still being attempted to be covered with your own goodness, of which you have none. And therefore, you're still under the condemnation that comes in being against your creator. You are an enemy of God. 
So then we see that the righteousness we need proceeds from God alone. Secondly, how is that righteousness obtained? Let us take a look at the second portion of the text, verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The offer of the gospel is an open invitation. There's an error, hyper-Calvinism, which says that we should not have an open invitation of the gospel. We don't believe that. We give an open invitation to the gospel that God may draw you in his grace and mercy to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So that invitation is not to do more stuff. It is not to do more work, to become more burdened by a list of tasks to obey. No, that invitation is only to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now that faith leads to righteousness, the righteousness from God cannot be obtained by trying really hard. Never. Rather, it is granted to those who repent. Philippians 1.29 puts it as follows. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then in another scripture mentioning the qualities of a servant of God, Paul says to Timothy, to Timothy the following about a servant being capable of the following, 2 Timothy 2.25, of correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So the righteousness we need comes from God, is provided by Him, and is given to us by the perfect Savior, that is Jesus. The book of Isaiah, speaking of God's perfect servant states the following, Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. That servant prophesying about Jesus is the one who will give us his righteousness. So how can someone have true faith in the true Jesus? we just seen that. It is given to us as a gift. God grants us faith. In doing so, the faithfulness of Jesus is given to us. It is imputed to us. So then let's look at the third portion. Who is that righteousness for? Following from the last verse, right? From the same verse, following that same thought. Let us read it again. It says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? For all who believe. Now, those who believe in the true Jesus who, has, who have received the true righteousness of God, that is faith that corresponds to true belief, is believing and trusting with our whole hearts, with our whole being, that Jesus has the righteousness that we need to please God. And that believing in Jesus will grant us that righteousness. Romans 10 verse 9 reads as follows. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, Lord, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For those who believe. When uh, talking about the Philippian jailer that freed Paul and Silas in Acts 16 verse 30, it's, it reads as follows. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. John 3 verses 4, verses 14 and 15, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then let us go back to Romans 1, verse 16. When Paul first made this proclamation of belief in that book, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what does that term mean, to believe? We all believe something. We're all believing something. The term there means to believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in, to have trust in. And the context of belief in Jesus is to trust in Jesus the way that is contained in the content of the gospel. To trust and believe in Jesus that he did what we cannot do so that his righteousness is attributed to us. A way to illustrate this is as follows. Let's say that a group of us is going to go skydiving. And as part of the course to go skydiving, before we jump, we need to check each other's parachute to ensure that we are correctly equipped to jump. Let's say that one of us notices a brother and says, hey brother, um, your, the thing you have on you is actually not a parachute, it's, it's a backpack. Like, what do you mean it's a backpack? Yes, oh my bad, you know, take that off and strap on your, the correct parachute. My brothers, it is so with the Christian life. Who are we trusting in? When the day comes that you will be perhaps pushed out of that plane, so to speak, are you prepared? Do you have the correct survival mechanism that you need? This is when we become accountable to the Word of God, when we become accountable to each other as brothers and sisters. As we inspect our own parachute, so to speak, as well as others that we love, right? And, and we say, brother, sister, uh, there may be something wrong with, with your parachute. In other words, there be, may be something wrong with, with your lifestyle, with your faith. And what would be perhaps our first reactive instinct response? No, what are you talking about? I'm fine. It's a reminder for us to constantly be in submission to the Word of God and to each other. So that we truly believe, so that we truly trust the correct 
gospel, the correct Jesus. So what are some reflections that we can apply today from this rather short text that we've studied? First, let us be reminded to take refuge in Christ and not in any good works. It is very easy and very tempting when confronted with our sin to say, well, but I'm not as bad as my buddy or my coworker or whoever it may be. That would be a sign that we are relying on our good works. Don't be set up to fail by thinking you can be justified, that you can become righteous before God by anything that you are proud of or anything that you have done. Secondly, let us ask ourselves, has God granted you true faith? The evidence of having true faith will be hating our sin and our love for Jesus. As well as the love for God's people. Do you love the church? Do you love Jesus? Do you hate sin? True faith then is evidence in a life of continuous repentance. The evidence is not correct beliefs alone. That's a warning for many of us that enjoy theology. A dear Jewish guy that I highly esteem, Dennis Prager, I had the honor of seeing him this weekend. He had a great quote, and it goes something like this. It was live, so I didn't capture exactly, but it was something like this. It says that he believes that Christianity is actually not a false religion, and that he believes that it's God-ordained, which obviously is true. But he says that he is bothered by the fact that many Christians may have correct beliefs, but incorrect behavior. Isn't that true, my brothers and sisters? That we may have correct beliefs, but our speech, our character, the way we conduct ourselves, goes against that. And he even quoted from James chapter 2. To which, I was really struck by it, and as our brother Vodi says, if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. Right? A life of true repentance is evidence that God has granted us true faith. Thirdly, have you believed and trusted in Jesus so that his righteousness has been credited to you? This applies to all of us, to our children, to our youth, our young men present here. Have you believed and trusted in Jesus? Don't believe that because you are younger that you'll get a pass. No. Has Jesus granted you to believe in him and has he given you his righteousness? A way to know that will be that you have an attitude of humility. That you know that you have nothing to offer God except for your sin. This is a warning for the false believer or the unbeliever that will say, I'm a good person. If my life was weighed between good and bad deeds, I would come up on top. 
That's obviously an erroneous way of thinking. A warning also to the religious self-righteous who will say, I believe the right things. I attend the right church. I have read more books than all my peers. That is also very dangerous ground to stand on. That should be contrasted to the true attitude, which is the attitude shown to us by Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, who simply said to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He knew he had nothing to offer Jesus, and therefore he needed mercy. Lastly, let us remember the following. We must know how to identify the true gospel. That is, that the righteousness of God is revealed and is given to underserving sinners apart from any works. This righteousness is obtained by faith to all who believe. May we understand, my brothers and sisters, as we will be proceeding in the book of Romans to talk about the gospel, about faith, further expansion on imputation, and how the gospel is applied to those who believe, so that we have the true standard by which to judge the true gospel, how to teach and act out the true gospel, and not fall prey to a false gospel. And in such manner, we remember that righteousness comes from God apart from the law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for having revealed your, your righteousness to us through your Son, Jesus. And that the righteousness that you have given us is something we can never attain. It is something we can never keep up by our own doing. Thank you for revealing that to us through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. May you grant us repentance and faith this very day, either as new believers or as those who are your children to continuously repent. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.